0: Welcome to Equity Granted, an executive chat where we help guide you, the senior-level corporate executive of a publicly traded company, toward personal financial peace of mind. In the coming weeks, we'll walk you through financial parity planning when choosing career paths, pension decisions, general stock-based compensation, planning for the special needs of a family member, and planning for the international expatriate executive. SFG's sister company is... SFG Investment Advisors, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Our website is sfgadvisors.com, spelled
1: S as in Sam, F as in Frank, G as in George.
0: A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S dot com. Hello, and welcome to SFG Wealth Planning's podcast called Equity Granted and Executive Chat. This is Matt Witter, and I'll be your host today. The discussion today will be centered around the types of questions executives should ask when planning for a change in control event and its impact on their personal financial wellness.
2: According to PwC's Global M&A Industry Trends 2022 Outlook, M&A activity reached record levels in 2021, exceeding 62,000 deals globally, and up 24% from 2020. While PwC doesn't expect another record-breaking year, all indications point to another solid year of activity with an abundance of capital, and companies in all industries need more technology. Key drivers of M&A activity can also include divestitures, i.e. spin-offs, demergers, and agility. The driving forces behind these change-in-control events can include shareholder activist campaigns and CEOs placing greater value on the ability to be nimble. Are you a public company executive who is or will be affected by a change in control event such as M&A or a spinoff? Do you have concerns around how the transaction will impact your LTI and other compensation benefits? Is there a plan in place allowing you to maximize benefits going forward?
0: In this episode, we address personal financial planning considerations, legal considerations, and trends related to executive compensation and MA activity. Please note that tax advice is outside the scope of this discussion. I'm very excited to introduce our guest today, Mike Androsino. Mike is a partner at Errant Fox Schiff in the Boston office. Mike's diverse practice includes private equity mergers and acquisitions, and capital raising. In addition, Mike routinely advises clients on public company disclosure and compliance, executive compensation, stock plan design and administration, and technology contracting and licensing. He focuses on early stage through middle market technology companies and the software consulting fintech, ad tech, media, and healthcare industries. So welcome, Mike. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Matt.
1: Been looking forward to our discussion.
0: Excellent. So let's just jump in here. You know, Most of the questions today stem from the NCEO's book called Selected Issues in Equity Compensation. Given how M&A activity has picked up in recent years, more executives are finding themselves trying to understand how a major change in their company could be a spinoff, for example, how that affects their compensation package. So that being said, what would you you tell an executive who recently learned that their company is being split into two companies as it relates to their long-term incentive compensation?
1: The uh, first step is uh, gathering all the relevant documents, the plan and any uh, award agreements. You should not necessarily count on the company to take care of those things for you or to do it on your schedule. So you're going, to, you're going to want to start with the documents because that'll form the basis of the company and your own legal and business position.
0: What would you say then? What, what kinds of long-term incentive compensation changes can they anticipate if the company hasn't disclosed anything yet?
1: Oftentimes, this is not the first or even the, the 101st thing that gets done on the checklist of things that have to be done in a change of control situation. In other words, a company will very often make assumptions that the executives are going to go along with whatever uh, the you know the company ends up uh, negotiating and it's not necessarily the case that this will have been uh, thought out in advance. That's that can be good and bad. The bad part is uh, then the executive may be ready to discuss this before the company is, and then the company ends up oftentimes putting pressure on the uh, executive team to kind of agree and go along to get along without a lot of time for discussion or even sometimes understanding. Um, But the good thing is if the executive is proactive they can they can get involved before everything's set in stone and and have a have an impact on how the arrangements go uh, uh, to address your question the big issue in any uh, change of control or spinoff situation are the o- existing awards uh, going to essentially be terminated uh, paid off cashed out etc or are they going to in some way be assumed or substituted? so that they, as much as possible, continue after the change of control.
0: So that kind of dovetails into the next question you hear. How are long-term incentive awards typically handled? And what are the chances that the existing awards will be modified and ultimately paid out later than originally planned? In a public-to-public
1: situation. So either uh, uh, acquisition of a public company by another public company or a, a spinoff uh, or split up of the company. Uh, so there'll be two public companies. The plan is most often to try to keep the equity as it is and um, have it assumed or substituted with as as close as possible, kind of the same incentives going forward. In a situation where you've got a private equity uh, going private transaction or private equity sponsor, uh, uh, buying a public company, so you've got public to private, uh, there it's more common for the equity, um, for there to be big changes, for the existing equity to be um, uh, paid out to the extent uh, there's value in it, and for completely new equity, uh, sometimes of a new company, often these days an LLC uh, with a completely different equity interest from the stock options or restricted stock or other long-term incentives that the executive had before.
0: So very big difference going from public to public uh, versus public to, to private, uh, and important to be mindful of the differences. Um, now, the, the first question I asked, I, I know you uh, touched on this, but I'm wondering, can you elaborate a little more? Can you explain how existing award agreements come into play as part of a major transaction?
1: It will generally be the case that the existing award has provisions that govern a change of control. First thing um, that has to be determined is is the company um, experiencing a change of control under the existing agreements. If uh, if a company is being split up, but you are part of the uh, half that's kind of remaining in place, then it may be that there's uh, no change under your agreement. Things may be written, uh, uh, you know, there's situations that come up where you can end up with two changes of controls, uh, one when the company um, sells a division or spins off a division, and then uh, the remaining company uh, uh, ended, and ending up being sold. So the, the agreements uh, and the definition of change of control in the agreements is important first, and you, it's, it's likely that you're not going to know enough. The executive, unless they're involved in the negotiations over the change of control, are are probably not going to know enough uh, uh, to know exactly how the the change that's under discussion um, plays out under their agreements. But it, it's the agreement is
0: the starting place and, and that's uh, within the executive's control at least to know what that is. And get help from a qualified you know, financial advisor or a qualified executive compensation attorney uh, to help you know translate the language in those award agreements. Well, uh, the tax considerations are kind of beyond the scope of this discussion.
1: Um the uh, the executive needs someone who understands the uh, securities laws and, and corporate governance ramifications of the agreements, and uh, uh, someone who understands the tax considerations. the The former is is generally um, uh, an attorney or um, could be a comp consultant, but you know, generally an attorney who's familiar with these things. And the latter is either going to be a you know a tax attorney or
0: or an accountant. Sure, that that makes sense. Um, so, in a transaction, you know, long-term incentive awards are typically cashed out, assumed. They could be converted or canceled. I know you mentioned a couple of those earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, in your opinion, what's the most um, you know from your experience? What's the most common treatment that you've seen, and how is it used to retain key executives?
1: The most common treatment is for the awards to be uh, either assumed. Or uh, canceled and substituted for n- new awards under the uh, the acquiring company's plan, uh, with as as close to possible as close as possible to um, uh, the vesting and other uh, conditions being retained. That's uh, generally considered fair to both parties. And that should be the the standard. I think that uh, an executive should um, try to hold the hold the company to. It may be in the acquiring company's interest um, to uh, seek to revest the equity, uh, impose other conditions that weren't there before. Um, I, I think, as an executive, you've got a a, a reasonable uh, basis for uh, pushing towards. The sort of market outcome, which is that as as much as possible, uh, their uh, existing equity should be replicated by the acquiring company. Sometimes that's not possible in terms of you know just the awards that are granted. It may be that you know you're at a company that did all stock options and you're being acquired by a company that you know has equity that's all in restricted stock units, but um, it is. Uh, uh it's possible to even those things out uh with, with some sense of rough justice. And um I, I think the the executive and uh his or her advisors uh, need to be kind of on guard that um that uh, the company's not retrading, revesting, uh, otherwise taking advantage of the
0: situation. Right. And obviously executives don't want to be you know taken advantage of in that yeah. In a transaction type situation, and it makes sense that assumed or canceled is the most common. If, if you know, cashed out was the most common, you know, there's, there's less incentive, you know, for the executive to stay. And it could also, you know, result in undue tax consequences, which is, you know, really difficult to plan around too.
1: In the public to private uh, situation, it is more common that um, your equity would get cashed out although uh, those companies are often in a position to um, uh, allow you to roll over some of the equity in a, uh, on a, in a tax-deferred way into uh, equity of the acquiring company. You know, cashing out makes sense, and you can sometimes mitigate the, uh, what would otherwise be the tax consequences, uh, at least with the portion that you're willing to roll over. Um, and take a continued bet on the company, but in a uh, in a public to public situation or a or a spinoff situation, I would say I, I would say that's less common and um, more common to have the equity be assumed.
0: So, how do companies ensure that their executives retain maximum value? of the awards when the performance criteria is expected to change?
1: We talked about the uh, negotiation that might take place. Um, there's uh, strength in numbers, and certainly I've, I've been involved in situations uh, both on the company side and, and on the executive team side where if the executive team, uh, uh, the members of the executive team that have a common interest get together and negotiate Uh, On a common basis, even you know, sharing the the cost of the advisors, that can often be a um, a benefit for them, and is not necessarily a bad thing for the company either, because the the company would rather have one negotiation than you know seven or eight separate ones. So um, that's something to think about. Is you know when it seems like a transaction like this is on the horizon for executives to um, get together. And try to you know negotiate together over uh, what's going to happen with their equity.
0: Switching gears, performance-based equity uh, is obviously becoming uh, increasingly relevant and important. Um, you know because of how it um, you know connects you know shareholders and executives um, mm-hmm. mutual incentives mm-hmm. uh, to succeed. Um, you know it's becoming more more common. Um, so how is performance-based equity typically handled? Uh, for example, in a in a off transaction,
1: in a spinoff, the most common uh, treatment for uh, performance based equity, meaning uh, uh, something that's based on on total shareholder return, the, the most common treatment would be to um, handle that as as uh, though th- uh, the executive is deemed to have attained the performance targets uh, within the equity. Um, that's uh, that's generally the way it's done and in fact there's uh, oftentimes an, a negotiation around that uh, in, in terms of um, whether the target's been achieved at you know it's kind of 1x 2x or 3x under the performance targets in a, in a straight sale of a company it would be common for there to be a, a period of time uh, that you've that you've got to work after the after the sale uh, to revest in the equity. I, I think an executive would have to assume that in a, in a sale of the company, there's going to be uh, some, some revesting period uh, where they'll have to perform.
0: Yeah, to stay with the company for the respective time period and continue to incentivize with ho- hopefully what's to become more upside for them than what they currently have. Exactly. Um, so the next question has to do with legal considerations. Um, I know this is your world as an executive compensation attorney. What kind of legal considerations does an executive need to think about as it relates to their compensation, both pre-transaction and post-transaction?
1: The executive would benefit uh, greatly, as, as I mentioned earlier, by first seeing uh, who else has a common interest with them, kind of joining forces uh, as a team and negotiating in that way. That's going to help the executive achieve the best outcome in in any change of control situation. The executive needs to retain counsel um, and whether that's one person or uh, uh, one firm that uh, provides them with the securities and and governance uh, negotiation expertise and uh, another group for the tax matters but those are both going to be important especially uh, uh, Pre transaction, um, post transaction, things should resolve themselves pretty quickly, and I'll say, you know, kind of stabilize and go back to normal. The there's a, a great upheaval in any M um, and A situation, whether it's a, a sale of the company or a spinoff, um, and that's not sustainable. You can't be worried as an executive about your own equity situation all the time. Generally, you're not, and you weren't before the change of control came up, and you've got to worry about it during the change of control, but um, the executive team's got to go back to uh, managing the company and not worrying about uh, their own situation uh, uh, pretty quickly afterwards. If they don't, if, if that's a, a continuing um, source of angst, then uh, something's wrong. That's not a well-handled or well integrated situation, and that's 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 the company's fault if that's happening, not the executive's fault.
0: Yeah. So being as proactive as possible, um, you know, from a legal standpoint and certainly a tax standpoint, will help uh, minimize surprises too. You know, what other trends are you seeing as it relates to executive compensation and M and A activity?
1: I will say there's a, a continuing trend towards uh, more uh, performance based equity. Um, rather than time-based equity, if you're at a company where most of the incentive is strictly time-based, there's probably going to be a change um, for you, and you'd have you'd have to expect that because you'd have to expect that your company has has you know maybe uh, somewhat lagged behind in that respect. If you're not subject to uh, performance-based conditions for your equity now, you'd you'd have to expect to be. And that would be true whether it's a, a public-to-public or public-to-private situation.
0: So get ready because it's coming, right? Yeah. It, it, would, it would not be
1: genuine to say performance-based equity is a trend, but uh, mm-hmm. um, not, every, not every company has it to the degree that I think it's, it's
0: permeated the market. Yeah, some companies have some. Catching up to do in that regard. Um, so, lastly, um, you know, during a change in control, when do you advise is the best time to seek professional advice from an executive compensation attorney uh, or a, a CPA or a financial advisor?
1: I'm glad you asked this because this is this is something I I should have addressed. So, uh, whenever you know, I, whenever you uh, you ask any of your podcast guests, uh, they would always say, "Yeah, get involved early." Um, here's the dynamic that often happens that I often see here and um, what I would rather see happen instead. Uh, It's often the case that an executive or the group of executives um, doesn't uh, seek any advice until they're presented with a pile of documents. And as I mentioned earlier, oftentimes those are the last documents to get uh, put in place. Then when when, when those documents are ready for the executives to sign, um, the company doesn't expect any pushback and is often uh, putting people under a, a great deal of time pressure. So you can't wait for the company to put uh, documentation regarding the change in your equity into your hands and then, you know, then look for a lawyer or a tax advisor and react to it then. You've got to be proactive and um, gather your documents about your own situation and start Um, uh, thinking about it and pushing the discussion forward before the documentation comes out Um, that's if I could give one piece of advice that would be it is um, have your have your counsel in place before you see the pile of documents, not afterwards.
0: Executives are already dealing with so much that they have on their plate, and um, you know, I know we've found, I'm sure you found the same. Ex- executives tend to be excellent delegators because of how much they have on their plate, and so getting that information out early and often to your professional advisors is is critical, you know, to make sure all the right questions are asked and that you know the executive has you know as affirmative an understanding as possible before any type of transaction occurs.
1: Exactly. Exactly, and and I don't make the mistake of thinking, well, there's there's nothing for my advisor to do because we don't have anything to look at yet.
0: Yeah, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you've given us you know some invaluable insights, and you know I trust our listeners found this conversation to be helpful and and timely, if or when their company experiences a changing control event. Um, And to our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in today. We trust that you found value in our discussion on this very important topic as it relates to your personal financial wellness. Please feel free to call us at SFG Wealth Planning if you have further questions. And also, please feel free to reach out to Mike directly if you need assistance from a qualified executive compensation attorney regarding the topics that we discussed today. So we hope you'll join us for the next episode. Thank you. Thank you.
3: The likelihood of various investment outcomes is hypothetical. Discussion of these possible outcomes do not represent actual investment results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. Changes in investment strategies, contributions, or withdrawals may materially alter the performance and results of a portfolio. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. Nothing provided herein constitutes tax advice. Individuals should seek the advice of their own tax advisor for specific information regarding tax consequences of investments. This discussion may contain forward-looking statements relating to the objectives, opportunities, and the future performance of the U.S. market generally. Forward-looking statements may be identified by the use of such words, believe, expect, anticipate, should, planned, estimated, potential, and other similar terms. Example of forward-looking statements include but are not limited to estimates with respect to financial condition, results of operations and success, or lack of success of any particular investment strategy. All are subject to various factors included but are not limited to general and local economic conditions, changing levels of competition within certain industries and markets changes in interest rates, changes in legislation or regulation, and other economic competitive governmental regulatory and technological factors affecting a portfolio's operations that could cause actual results to differ materially from projected results. Such statements are forward looking in nature and involve a number of known and unknown risks uncertainties, and other factors. And accordingly, actual results may differ materially from those reflected or contemplated in any forward-looking statements. Prospective investors are cautioned not to place undue reliance on any forward-looking statements or examples. None of SFG, Investment Advisors, Inc., or any of its affiliates or principals, nor any other individual or entity assumes any obligation to update any forward-looking statements as a result of new information, subsequent events, or any other circumstances. All statements made herein speak only as of the date that they were made. SFG, Investment Advisors, Inc., is an investment advisor in Doyle's Tampa PA. SFG Investment Advisors, Inc. is registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC. Registration of an investment advisor does not imply any specific level of skill or training and does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission. SFG Investment Advisors, Inc. only transacts business in states in which it is properly registered or excluded or exempted from registration. A copy of SFG Investment Advisors, Inc.'s current written disclosure brochure filed with the SEC, which discusses, among other things, SFG Investment Advisors, Inc. Business Practices, Services, and Fees is available through the SEC's
1: website at www.advisorinfo.sec.gov.